0: Good morning. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Opening the show with a little yawn today. Nice quick Jays game yesterday. I thought, oh, maybe uh, maybe it'll be a night to go to sleep early. No NBA, no NHL. And then uh, J.D. Bunkus of the J.D. Bunkus podcast demands that I watch the third season of I Think You Should Leave so that we can speak entirely. And I think you should leave references tonight uh, at the game. Going to be down at the park uh, my mom's coming into town for the game. It looks like it's going to be a nice day out. And things are going a little better for the Toronto Blue Jays. They now won three or four. They beat the Milwaukee Brewers seven to two last night in a game that was just a downright normal baseball game. A couple of runs early. At one point they were 10 for 15 uh, on balls in play as they just singled Adrian Hauser to death. Uh, Hauser failed to get out of the fifth inning. Get to nice, beefy Bryce Wilson out of the pen. And, you know, things kind of went smoothly from there. On the J's side, Yusei Kikuchi dances through some trouble with his command. He walked five. Doesn't end up mattering. Gets gets the win. Improves the six and two. ERA back down to 447. So uh, nice to see him skate through that. And then, honestly, the highlight of the game for me, obviously it's nice to see the bats get going. Nice to see guys like Guerrero and Kirk have three-hit games. But Nate Pearson with another banger. Of a relief appearance, two innings clean, four strikeouts, used all three of his pitches to get strikeouts at different points. Uh, He continues to look very good. The Jays will do it again tonight. The Bialik Manoa against Julio Tehran. Uh, Tehran, of course, we we set up the, the pitching matchups in this series a little bit yesterday on Jays Talk Plus. But a guy who for a very long time with the Atlanta Braves was nasty. And you look back since 2020 across multiple franchises, across multiple levels throughout the minors. He has not pitched very much and has not pitched very effectively. But when he was freed from the San Diego Padres minor league contract, about a week ago, the Brewers came calling having an immediate need in the starting rotation. And Tehran was in such high demand around the league that the Brewers had to pay him like double the league minimum To come in Uh, at that point, you weren't sure. Was it going to be one start, two starts? Is this a permanent thing? He looked pretty good in his first start, but the Jays will try to keep the bats going against Julio Tehran, who has not had major league success since 2019, really, uh, again tonight. Things have moved in the right direction over the last couple days. Some of that is getting out of the American League East part of the schedule. Some of that is just stopping getting in their own way. Are the Jays a normal baseball team. Again, Keegan Matheson of MLB.com, of BlueJays.com joins us to help break it down. Keegan, in your work as someone who covers this team, travels with this team, has to write and tweet about this team every day, what kind of a premium do you place on a baseball team's ability to just be a little less weird, be a little normal for a week or two at a time?
1: <laughs> please, please. I'm begging them, really. it's. Uh, yesterday was the first time in a long time where I have been able to start writing my story in the middle of the game and it kind of holds up. You know, typically there is either a bigger narrative we're talking about, like the recent struggles, or there is a late comeback, maybe a fake comeback. (laughs) This team has been so strange. Nothing has happened like we expected. And it's a reminder for me, Blake, next March, next February, when I'm on and we're talking about the Blue Jays season coming up, we'll just... uh, will remind me that everything I'm previewing probably doesn't matter. It's it's all going to fall apart and happen a hundred times differently than we expect.
0: Hey, as long as we get to the right conclusion, which is, of course, 162 games and six months of baseball games and two months of spring training and all of that stuff, all coming down to a best two out of three to decide the entire season cool. and how we evaluate every individual. Um, that's where we're headed here. Probably the American League East is, you know, nothing's out of reach a third of the way through the season, but it doesn't look great for the Blue Jays chances there. The wildcard race is a, a bit of a mess, but the Jays have won three of the last four and the, the bats are coming around a little bit. Um, how much do you think it can help the Blue Jays to just, even if like you're going to have to beat American League East teams eventually, of course, you, you can't use that as an excuse, but just getting a breather from that slog for the course of this week and next, how much can that help a little bit?
1: That's incredibly relieving for the Blue Jays. And you're going to see some tough teams like Houston come in eventually. But just to get away from the Rays, from the Orioles, from the Yankees, it, it is so important to just be able to play a more relaxed brand of baseball. I think that you'll see this a lot when it comes to pitching, especially because for about two weeks, maybe 16, 18 days straight, it felt like the Blue Jays were either chasing somebody in every game or They were trying desperately to cling to a one-run lead. There weren't enough of these 7-2 games where you can relax, throw someone out there, and get through it. They were chasing everything, which means you are maxing out your bullpen. You're trying to get everything out of your starters. And over a long season, that doesn't work. You need spots where you can naturally rest just a little bit, where you can maybe lift your starter 10 pitches early, where you can move away from Jordan Romano, for three times in four days and save him so ideally for the blue jays this stretch allows them to do that we'll see if it actually does they have been wildly inconsistent yeah. and i still have no clue who this team is but you love getting out of the al east the al east sucks to be in i don't care how many times people tell me we love this division it's competitive it's great to compete against the best no absolutely not <laughs> you would rather be in a division with the royals four times i promise
0: yeah, I would love to play that team or, or play against the Oakland Athletics. Even having one bad team in the division uh, could be a big reprieve. So one of the other things I, I think that maybe this can help with, and you know, it, it's not always the case because of course, last Tuesday, the Jays scored 20 runs against the Tampa Bay Rays. And one of the talking points is, well, can this kind of shake them out of that slump? A couple guys seeing hits fall in and you feel a little better about your numbers. You get to have a little bit of fun. We didn't really see that. But what we have seen is They've won three or four, and within those, one of them was a loss, but they've scored seven runs or more twice in the last three games, which had only happened like three times over a 20-game stretch prior to this one. The offense wasn't bottom of the league bad, but it hadn't been anywhere near the top offense uh, that we, we were expecting coming into this year. Um, Given what you've seen at the plate, the last little bit, 14 hits as a team yesterday, um, you know, the fake comeback with some good offense on Saturday, are you starting to see the signs of life you need to see from this group at the plate?
1: You're, You're starting to, and after the game, Alejandro Kirk described it as just everybody doing their job, which. 99 times out of 100 is a boring nonsense quote to me. It's baseball. is full of these things that mean nothing. I think that actually makes some sense, though, because you are seeing each hitter in this lineup, at least yesterday. God, it could go wrong today. But yesterday, each hitter doing what they are supposed to be doing in that lineup. And that's not what it was for two weeks. For two weeks, it was every hitter in that lineup trying to be the guy. I think Kevin Kiermaier has such a good hold on that. He realizes, yo, I'm the number nine hitter. I'm not going to hit home runs. I am not the star. This isn't about me. I've just got to get on base and let the players who are better than me do their thing. That's why the production from the bottom half of the lineup last night was so important. You just see guys getting on, turning the lineup over. And I know production one through nine matters for every team. It's the ideal, but... I think it matters especially for the Blue Jays because they are a team that is supposed to be deeper than you, a lineup that's supposed to be longer than yours. About any other team in baseball, the Blue Jays should have that, but it hasn't really been the case. So I think that almost got back to what we saw in early April, the first half of April, when they were really at their best starting out, is everybody chipping in just a bit. It does not have to be the big play, the big home run, Because when you do that, you start to see dumb outs on the bases. You start to see players expanding a bit too much, like we've seen from Vladdy recently and then a good one yesterday. So just players doing what they're able to do, not trying to be a superstar, just doing what's in front of them.
0: I want to circle back to the Vlad part of that in a minute here because I think you know he is at times guilty of trying to be a superstar and you you like that. He's shown superstar upside, um, but one of the names further down the lineup that has turned things around a little bit of late is Alejandro Kirk. He's hitting 368 over his last 11 games. His line for the season still isn't all that impressive unless you're like me and are fascinated by guys who can walk more than they strike out. Uh, this is still a guy that's hitting 262 that, that really hasn't done much in terms of of extra base hits four doubles and two home runs but in even stringing together a couple multi-hit games a couple games with more singles and yes some of those may be defense assisted infield singles um you know how what would it mean for the the bottom third of that order for kirk to find a groove here and start looking like first half of 2022 alejandro kirk
1: yeah he can be one of the most important bats in his lineup because he's the most unique, I think, by far, the most unique bat on this entire roster, maybe most unique in the organization. When he is at his best, he's hitting for more power, though, because the reality is Alejandro Kirk's speed is a massive liability. (laughs) And even when you get on base, if you're only on first base, Kirk needs at least two more base hits behind him to score. That's the reality. So if he's driving the ball a bit more, It doesn't have to be home run power, but turning that contact into line drives, finding the gap, finding the corner a bit more often, getting the ball in the air, just like Vladdy, is I think the most important thing for Alejandro Kirk. And when he is going good, he's such an important bat because you are going to keep base runners at least moving with him at the plate because he's putting the ball in play at such an incredible rate and can still give you that high 300s on base percentage, even when he's not smoking the baseball. So it's been a bit of a step back. We'll see if that power comes. And the late start to the season, I think, had a bit to do with it. Kirk had his first child in camp, was a bit late coming in, but it's not early anymore. You need to see a bit more power, and that's got to come around soon. No time like the present either with uh, Danny Jansen in the IL.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and Danny Jensen, who was starting to heat up and starting to eat into more of the the share of catching starts. So, um, you know, who knows if a guy is pressing a little bit when he thinks his playing time's in question. But now, I, I, there's potentially a little bit of you know breathing room of hey, the job's yours every day. We'll, we'll sprinkle in Tyler Heineman, but Tyler Heineman's not going to steal uh, starts from. Alejandro Kirk so you mentioned Vlad a couple times there Vlad also having some trouble um, you know working through lifting the ball a little bit more he's had ground ball issues in the past did an hour with Chris Black yesterday where we tried to diagnose some of what's going on with Vlad's swing it's gotten a little longer Um, there are some indicators that maybe he's trying to get you know a a little bit more lift on those balls and that's hurting his ability to cover the whole plate or or to judge balls from strikes because you got to make those decisions a little earlier yesterday though. He, I mean, he did strike out and he swung out of his shoes a little bit at one point and had, he got under a mediocre fastball for an infield fly, but he also had three hits and it was a single, to left and a single, to center and a single, to right. When Vlad is using all three fields like that, is that one of the, the primary things you focus on when you're evaluating where Vlad is at
1: the plate? It is. And for Vladdy, a, a couple of hard hit singles means just as much to me as a home run for mm-hmm. him coming back because. I think he has been not miscast because he is one of the great power hitters in Major League Baseball, but he is not a pure and true sellout home run hitter. What made Vladdy the best prospect on the planet for a couple of years was that he was the best hitter in minor league baseball. Not the best power hitter, not the best slugger, but by far the best pure hitter in the minor leagues. And that is how he turns so many pitchers, into highlight reels coming up through double a AA and triple a just doing whatever he wanted at the plate, and then naturally the home run power would come lately i think he's been going after the home run power and you lose those great at bats in the middle vladdy maybe more than anybody wanted to be the hero when this was all going bad for a couple of weeks and that's why you saw him expanding the zone that's why you saw him taking some massive swings that Sure, if you connect, it's going 500 feet. But if you don't connect, your obliques are screaming and it looks bad. So him getting back to a more controlled version of himself is important. I think with Vladdy, this is mental as much as anything. It's about a bit of self-control at the plate and accepting that he can go three for five like this and really contribute. And if he does that, naturally the power will come. He hits the hell out of the baseball every single time. It's going to leave the park. But the moment he starts chasing home runs, pitchers know what to do. Every single pitcher who is preparing for the Blue Jays is thinking, man, I don't want to end up on Center because of Vladdy. They really prepare for him. They know where to pitch him now, especially when he is getting aggressive and swinging out of his shoes. So mentally he needs to avoid that, and yesterday was a much better job.
0: I don't want to use this as like, oh, blame the rest of the team for Vlad thinking this way. But do you think it's a little easier for Vlad to accept that when he sees a couple base hit singles around him in the lineup? Like, like, does that lessen up the I need to go yard? I know that, you know, sometimes we think of, oh, base is loaded or two men on. That's when you want to hit the home run. But it kind of strikes me that for Vlad, it might be if guys are hitting around him. He doesn't feel like he needs to do the solo shot. Do you, Do you see any of that with him?
1: Oh, definitely. And when you are not down to nothing and chasing, you know, chasing doesn't just burn the bullpen. It means that every single guy in that lineup is squeezing the bat. They are trying to make something happen and happen quickly because when you are losing in a game and you're losing on a streak, you don't want to be patient. You don't want to say let's play the long game and get them over nine innings. No, you want it to happen immediately. And we've seen Vladdy trying to hit a lot of five-run home runs and do things right now as immediately and quickly as possible. But when you see other players hitting, especially the bottom of the lineup turning over, when you see Bo and George Springer ahead of you doing things, you can exhale and say, okay, I'm going to go up there and relax, maybe see a pitch or two without swinging as hard as humanly possible and see what works for me. And I think that's so important for Vladdy. That's why having George and Bo in front of him performing is probably as important as anything. It just lets him relax. And when Vladdy is himself, he's still one of the best hitters in baseball. He just hasn't let himself be himself all that often. So far,
0: you mentioned the table setting. It's also, and you know, to tie these two threads together, the ability of the bottom of the order to contribute rolls that over and sets the table uh, better at the top as well. And and we thought maybe that, would fall off with Kevin Kiermaier missing a couple days. Keegan, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put the, the football down for you and and let you take a wind up out of here. Kevin Vigio, tiny samples five for his last 16, two home runs and a walk in there. Is there any hope left that Kevin Vigio can, you know, contribute regularly or, or is this version of him sub 200 batting average and no longer really able to, take a ton of walks because pitchers aren't afraid of him and don't pitch around him. Um, I I guess just where are you at in terms of Biggio's ability to be, say, the 10th guy and the first sub in versus a guy who looks more like a a 12th, 13th position player?
1: Yeah, it's still fading and it's tough to believe in a bigger role right now because you've seen how pitchers have adjusted to him. Now, if this recent little run where he's making some harder contact, if this picks up, that makes you believe again, but I think with any player, especially of Kevin's age and his experience, after they had some success initially, now you're seeing a year or two of struggle. That is the league adjusting to them. And for Kevin Biggio, in the simplest terms, that means fastballs as hard as you can, up at the hands, top of the zone. And you are seeing him struggle to adjust to that. So is he going to win and make an adjustment back? Well, if so, then he can be that first guy maybe. Getting on base, hitting for a bit of power, He needs that power, by the way. But unless he is going to adjust to that, maybe you are looking at that average near 100 where you're hoping for a super utility role, hoping for some base running, which we know is in there, but we haven't really seen the value of that this year with Gavin. I think the Blue Jays will be as patient as possible. They will try anything possible to make it work with Biggio because they love so much who he is mentally as a player, his mental makeup, how he understands the game. There's a reason he keeps getting opportunities with these numbers, but man, eventually the numbers have to back it up. And as the blue Jays get healthier, I think that'll continue to be a conversation if he can make an adjustment because Lately, the last couple of years, the pitchers have been winning that adjustment game.
0: You mentioned the the Blue Jays potentially getting healthier. Santiago Espinal started a rehab assignment yesterday. Went two for three down in Dunedin. Uh, An aside to what we're talking about, but Zach Pop got in his first game as well. So so there's potential movement there as well. Um, I, I guess the big immediate question in, in terms of Biggio's role is the health of Kevin Kiermaier, where he had been hoping on the weekend that by Tuesday he might he might be good to go. The Jays are probably facing a point now where you know today maybe even tomorrow, they've got to make an IL decision on Kevin Kiermaier. And there aren't sexy names coming up from AAA. It could mean more of Whit Merrifield uh, in a corner outfield with Kevin Biggio getting extra starts at at second base. Um, What is the latest on on Kiermaier? And did it sound like he was potentially IL bound yesterday or, or just getting an extra day?
1: Yeah, I think the wording was that he was feeling better, but still a bit uncomfortable, which didn't sound all that optimistic. We'll see today. The Blue Jays can't push this much further, but like you said, there's not a ton of depth coming up. The Blue Jays are fragile depth-wise at a lot of positions, a lot of positions, which is why their health has been so important. I'm not sure if this would maybe lead to an Otto Lopez coming up, being able to use Whitmerry field in the outfield, have Lopez as cover at multiple positions. That might make some sense, but you're not replacing Kiermaier. The base running, the incredible defense – and what he's done from the number nine spot has literally been one of the best number nine hitters in baseball. He's held up that end of the promise, and he's nailed it. He's been a fantastic signing for the Blue Jays. But injuries were always part of the risk, part of the deal with Kevin Kiermaier, and you're starting to see these injuries slowly build up. You almost don't even notice it, but then you look around, and you're seeing four, five, six guys rehabbing, and the Blue Jays do not have elite depth by any means so the healthier the better and uh, I think Meyer is a a far more important piece of this team than I even expected entering the season. He's been fantastic.
0: Yeah. I I was kind of thinking like maybe not split time uh, or straight platoon, but if he gives you like a hundred, 110 games uh, of solid defense and then defensive replacement the rest of the time, like that's great. And he has been like, it feels indispensable. I know Varsho is a very good defensive center fielder as well, but yeah, Kiermaier has, uh, has delivered, which is like, ironically, even more, justification to play it slow with him and be very very careful because you don't want uh, anything to nag last one on you for for you from uh last night's game is is on the relief pitcher front. Um, you know, Kikuchi, we, it, it was a similar story to, to last year. He danced around some walks and managed to be reasonably effective. Despite that, that's a good sign. But the big one for me from the pitching side was Nate Pearson gives them two terrific innings again. He strikes out four batters. He uses all three of his pitches as out pitches in strikeout situations. Um, honestly, it's at a point now, Keegan, where I love the fact that you can turn to Nate Pearson for two innings if Kikuchi only gives you five, or you can turn to him for two innings after Gosman gives you eight and the bullpen's banged up and this one's headed to extras. But at what point does John Schneider have to consider "Eh, two innings? Yeah, that's nice, but we want to get this guy in higher leverage spots. When does that conversation start happening?
1: Hopefully a week ago. (laughs) This guy has been fantastic. And Nate Pearson is one of the best stories on this team right now, I think. And I enjoy watching this. You're seeing a guy finally pitching with some joy again, Uh, a guy enjoying the game of baseball after it's given him a hundred reasons not to, and man, he looks good over the two innings. Can you sustain that? I don't know. You know, it it makes me think back to, let's say, 2014 or 15 era Dylan Batonsis with the New York Yankees where he was a 1.5-2 to ERA guy, dominant reliever, high strikeout, who could sometimes give you two innings. Those guys are rare. They don't always hold up. They don't always last. So do you want to shorten him up or keep him at two? We'll see. I think you need Nate Pearson in the biggest spots right now. I think he has earned that. I think he has certainly leapfrogged over Jimmy Garcia. I think it goes Romano Swanson Pearson at this point. And he offers the Blue Jays the velocity and the strikeout rate that they have been frankly so far behind in major league baseball finding. Every other team seems to roll out a guy throwing a hundred that you've never heard of. The Blue Jays were never doing that. But now they have something really unique and potentially special with Nate Pearson in that role. And man, you want to maximize it. And you need to keep him healthy, keep him safe out there, but as much as you can push it, I think he has learned earned sorry every bit of leverage that you can put on his plate
0: yeah be a blast to see averaging 98 with the fastball um, almost a four to one strikeout to walk ratio the walks had always been an issue on the way up and then even something like um, you know opposing hitters are hitting just 190 off of them the breaking balls have almost no good contact against them already like this far into the season it's uh it's pretty good stuff less good stuff so we we kind of set it up as the baseball game yesterday was normal Keegan and, and this team was getting back to playing some normal drama-free baseball. Uh, unfortunately, that hasn't been the case off the field. And I know this is something you you felt passionately about um, yesterday. And uh, so Anthony Bass, for anyone who doesn't know, shared a pretty vile video on his Instagram story a, a couple days back uh, that was very anti-LGBTQ+, and very, you know, calling that group of people the enemy and relying on some disingenuous religious polls to to prop that up on now he it seems like he was forced to apologize yesterday it's it was about as empty an apology as I can remember he comes up doesn't take questions starts it off with basically I'm going to keep this quick um all-time power rankings of empty apologies where does Anthony Bass rank there for you because that one was absolutely that rang very hollow to me
1: Yeah, it it ranks high or low, whichever the bad end (laughs) is on our sliding scale here. I I really would have loved to have heard Anthony Bass take some questions about why you did this, who do you support, why did you delete it, then repost it, clearly knowing who you had offended and why. Uh, That was very disappointing from Anthony Bass yesterday. And again, a 30-second statement. That's, you know, I think anyone listening, we all know that was uh, not something he sat down with pen and paper by himself and wrote. Uh, These things are handled very carefully with a large organization like the Blue Jays or like any company. There are people involved in this. And you can even see that uh, through the apology where he is referring to things such as, quote, the pride community. What does that mean? Who are you talking about? Who are you targeting? Who are you apologizing to? Because that's big and broad. You can mean beer sponsors when you say the pride community. And also opening up with the classic uh, defense or apology trope of, well, I have friends who dot, dot, dot. I'm we just surprised, that he, I'm just surprised
0: he didn't do the I'm sorry if you were offended. That's the, that's the other classic that, that goes with that That was the only
1: empty sca- square on the yeah. bingo card. But we have... We have heard that before. Uh, I have friends who are a part of that community. I have friends who are black. I have co-workers who blah, blah, blah. We've heard that in a dozen apologies before. So like John Schneider said soon after, and John Schneider took all of the questions because Anthony Bass would not, uh, I should make that clear that it all went to John Schneider. Many of them were not ones he could even answer or had the info to answer at the time, but he tried what he could. And Schneider said that we're not going to forget this happened. More needs to happen from here because part of the apology was Bass saying he is using the Blue Jays' resources uh, to to learn more and improve. I hope that happens. But again, that's another thing on the apology bingo card that uh, everybody wants to read and listen and uh, become more educated. But again, what does that mean? And prove it. Yeah, and not
0: just, I mean, the, the Jays have an OK history with this, um, you know, around their Pride weekends and their involvement with the LGBTQ plus community in Toronto. But there should be a watchful eye on, on them right now. Is Are the Pride weekend celebrations just going to be, hey, there's some, there's some rainbow insignia around the outfield and in pregame ceremonies? Or, or is there actually a connection to those communities, uh, those marginalized groups in Toronto and, and uh, an effort to make the Jays a, a part of positive change? The same way, you know, the Leafs have been lauded for, you know, always being very involved in things like pride marches and things like that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's all eyes on on Bass and hearing what that actual learning has been about. Although I'm not optimistic that he'll answer questions about it at any point. Um, And all eyes on on the Jays and how they continue to, you know, make sure that we know that that relationship is not just about promoting a, a different weekend at the ballpark. And it's actually about. You know, empowering those communities and welcoming uh, welcoming them into uh, the ballpark and making sure they're safe in the city. Uh, Keegan, last one on this is, and, and I don't mean this to be like cancel culture, etc. Anthony Bass shouldn't have a, a spot on the team, but Zach Pop started a rehab assignment yesterday, and on merit, Anthony Bass might be the last man in the bullpen anyway. Um, do you think there's a chance that we're getting close to? Anthony Bass's time with the Blue Jays is done given that he's not owed a ton of money and he has not been particularly effective. And now he has also at multiple turns been, you know, a wheel that's that's squeakier than, you know, the juice doesn't seem worth the squeeze when it comes to uh, and not sorry. And, and to be clear the merit of your play should not be related to the, you know, how we handle the merit of your character. But if we're being realistic about this stuff, it is when teams make decisions. Um, Do you think there's any risk for Anthony Bass of, you know, when Zach pops ready to go there, there's a DFA in his future.
1: I, I do. And like you said, the reality of pro sports is that if a player at the top of this roster shared the same post, we're not talking about releasing the guy because we know how pro sports works. Unfortunately, But Anthony Bass has not been good. He has not been valuable to the bullpen. And sure, he's had a couple of decent outings lately, but he was brutal in in April and really struggled to get that going. How did the season end last year? A lot of that had to do with Anthony Bass on the mound as well. So as the Blue Jays have new options, he has put himself on the edge of that conversation. He has not helped himself by being the story multiple times, going back to the popcorn debacle (laughs) earlier this year, which was, stupid and going back to that you've you've been the story a couple of times this season while you are on the mound not doing much to distract from that so he has put himself in this situation and i think as you see other arms coming back elsewhere in the bullpen even guys struggling like a jimmy garcia you believe much more in a jimmy garcia i do at this point with his track record what he did last year so yes i do think bass is on the edge of that and if it comes to that point Maybe that's a, a more convenient opening for the Blue Jays because I part of me wondered if he would be in the clubhouse when we arrived yesterday at 3:30, when it opens up to the media. But maybe that point comes uh, a little sooner down the line.
0: And as your uh, as our pal Gregor Chisholm pointed out in writing about this yesterday, uh, Anthony Bass also a loud character in the wild card collapse last year. So again, there is a real, there is a real merit element to this conversation uh, as well. And that was happening, you know, I I think well before this happened, you know, the, the term phantom IL was thrown around with him before Simber and Zach pop got legitimately hurt. Um, So we'll have to keep an eye on that as Zach pop gets close to return. Keegan Matheson of MLB.com of bluejays.com of fine, East coast liquors. Now that his sisters come through, uh, Uh thanks for making the time out, man. And, uh, have a great day. Hopefully see you at the park later. You got it, my friend. See you there. Giga Matheson of MLB.com, of BlueJays.com. Uh, I mentioned that, that Zach Pop did make his first rehab appearance yesterday. We could do a quick little roundup of what's going on uh, with the, the injured Blue Jays. Uh, so, Zach Pop appeared in a rehab game with single A Dunedin. He threw an inning. He walked a batter, but no hits uh, allowed. Santiago Espinal was also in that game. He went two for three with a single. And a double. Uh, ben Nicholson Smith, our pal of sports and Sportsnet.ca, provides the update that uh, Chad Green threw live BP yesterday and Hyunjin Ryu threw a two up bullpen session. So, uh, you know, get up, throw your bullpen, get down as if it's between innings, and then get up and do it again. Uh, Mitch White started in a triple A rehab assignment on Saturday. It did not go well. Mitch White's, uh, th- so you, so when a pitcher is sent on a rehab assignment, you have 30 days before you have to activate them. Uh, Mitch White is out of options, so that timeline is especially important with him. Zach Pop, for example, say he hit the 30 days, the Jays could then just option him to AAA because he still has options. Uh, with Mitch White, he would have to not only be put on the Major League roster, but you'd have to clear a 40-man spot for him as well uh, because he's currently on the 60-day IL. So Saturday started the clock on that Second 30-day rehab assignment because his timeline had been reset when he had a setback. Uh, I think you're going to see him make a couple more starts before he's in uh, the major league conversation, just given how poorly things have gone at AAA. If you look around the minor league system today, it's a pretty exciting day for Blue Jays minor league pitchers. Bowden Francis gets the start at AAA Buffalo. He is on merit. Next man up if the Jays needed someone to start, but again, not on the 40-man roster. Uh, a New Hampshire will start Sam Robertsa, who with Ricky Tiedemann sideline is probably uh, the most intriguing long-term, but maybe in the next two years pitching prospect throwing in the minors. Brandon Barriera, probably the highest upside guy throwing right now, but, but he's a bit away. And then uh, Adam Akko starts at Vancouver. He's the, uh, the other return in the Eric Swanson, um, Swanson Teoscar Hernandez swap. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get to know Don Mattingly a little bit better through Lindsay Dunn. Lindsay Dunn of City News, um, I mean, just a fantastic interviewer who's able to build this rapport with subjects immediately. And she sat down with Don Mattingly yesterday. We're going to hear about that conversation, hear about some of the stuff that didn't make the video uh, and didn't make the the article that accompanied it as well. So uh, that's next. Lindsay Dunn joins us as Jay's Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 and Sports at 360.
2: Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. There is uh, stuff happening in Leafs land. We'll keep an eye on it just in case. It doesn't sound like anything's going to be imminent this morning, but uh, it does sound like, from multiple reports, that the Leafs are getting close to hiring Brad Tree Living as their next general manager. Uh, JD Bunkus just before us had Elliot Friedman on his show. You can check that out on the JD Bunkus podcast and, and hear Elliot's latest reporting on that and what it might mean for Sheldon Keefe. You can uh, listen after us, of course, at noon, the Jeff Merrick Show. Uh, follows us, and then Kipper and Bourne will be on at 2 o'clock. Um, we'll see how that stuff develops. but it doesn't sound like anything's imminent, but your Toronto Maple Leafs may have a new general manager soon. Lindsey Dunn was sitting with Masai Ujiri. No big deal when the news of uh, the Golden State Warriors changing GM and president of basketball operations came down yesterday. Lindsey Dunn is uh, City News' sports and music journalist, two-time RT DNA Canada Award nominee, and she joins us now. Lindsey, how are you doing?
3: Well, you just made my face super red. I'm blushing. That's quite the intro. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for name dropping Masai because I so casually dropped it yesterday, and I'm still uncomfortable with the whole thing.
0: <laughs> Look, if you're sitting down one-on-one with Masai for whatever reason, and he's breaking sports news to you, uh, I think you're in a pretty good place. But I have to ask, though, like, did he tell you who the next coach is going to be? Because we're all still
3: waiting. You better believe I asked him, and the answer was no comment. But Like it was a really neat interview that some of it's airing tomorrow. We spoke about the NBA finals and his former team, the Denver nuggets making it there for the first time in franchise history. And also about former assistant coach, Adrian Griffin going to the box. Like, it was a really neat conversation, but I could not get out who the Raptors' new head <laughs> coaches. Like we all want to know, just tell us.
0: Yeah, and most of the like a lot of the other openings are filled now. So what are we what are we waiting for here? And Nick Nurse is off to to Philly, of course. I'm sure in your role, especially Lindsay, you'll miss uh, some things about Nick Nurse and maybe some other things less. <laughs> um, but you know, certainly the music tie-ins uh, will be something we miss. I, I am curious before we get into your your chat with Don Manningly, you do. Bounce around between the Raptors, the Le- you were with the Leafs during the playoffs. You're, you're around the Jays right now. And not to, to make your face red right again, but you have this incredible gift for, like, people open up to you really, really quickly, even though it's on camera, even though, you know, you might not be around that team every single day because you're bouncing multiple roles. What is it that you think, you know, about the interviews that, that you do or your style or, or approach or something like that that makes people like a Maasai or a Nick Nurse or a Don Mattingly feel so comfortable with you in front of the camera? <laughs>
3: I don't know how to answer that. I truly wish you could see how red my face is, and I'm really happy I'm not in studio right now, but thank you for the kind words. I mean, you've I even know. got
0: One Direction guys video bombing you and stuff. <laughs> like, it's it's not just a sports okay, thing either.
3: Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I just who am who I am, and <laughs> I like to say, like, I'm weird, and I like to say, like, I'm a huge self-proclaimed nerd. I don't take myself serious. I'm not here to get gotcha headlines, and I think for the most part that might bring down people's guards that I'm not trying to get a one sentence to put out there being like, Oh, so, so I I don't know. I think maybe they just look at me and you're like, Hey, this is a nerd who wants to have fun. Let's talk to them.
0: Well, it doesn't work for the nerd part of it. Doesn't work for me as much, but um, Uh uh, so you did sit down with uh, Don Mattingly recently and there's a a written piece up at city news. Uh, I believe the video interviews airing today. Is that right?
3: Some of it aired yesterday and... But that's it. honestly, I was so pumped when your super producer Jeff emailed me about this because so much of this did not air on TV and so much of it is not online anywhere. So I'm excited to talk about this.
0: Yeah, so so run us through it. So obviously, you know, Donnie Baseball joins the the Blue Jays organization and he had been a manager not too recently. Obviously a legendary playing career fringe Hall of Fame case. Um, what, uh, what was that chat like? Give us the kind of high-level notes before we, we pick at some of the specifics.
3: It was magical. To be honest, going into it, I was terrified because Donnie Baseball doesn't do a lot of interviews and I will kind of squash any expectations right now because I have been getting some sassy emails. Don's not here to talk about playing 14 years with the Yankees. He's not (laughs) here to talk about being a baseball career. He came here because he wants to help the Blue Jays win and he just wants to talk with the Blue Jays. So there was no Yankee questions or career questions, but I was terrified going into it because he normally says no. To interviews because he just wants everyone to focus on you know what's happening with the jays or talk to john schneider and when it happened i thought i'm like oh please don't eat me alive because i'm not traditional like i like to have fun i like to kind of find more about them as a person and he completely opened up he was so chatty that after two beat reporters came to me and said, I think that's the longest I've ever seen Donnie <laughs> talk to somebody. And he even got a little emotional during it when I asked him about his foundation, which completely took me like caught me off guard because he he was so vulnerable. I've actually never seen him like that.
0: So, and his char- his uh, charitable endeavors called Mattingly Charities, and it's about getting baseball equipment to people who otherwise couldn't afford it. Um, what is that like? Like, obviously, he has spent a lot of time in baseball, and some of this is just you know you make a lot of money, you want to pay it back to the game. But what was it that uh, about that charitable work specifically that that had him pretty emotional? Yeah,
3: because like what you mentioned, he it really started out at getting baseball equipment and that to people that you know can't afford it or they're not getting that opportunity but he's saying over the last few years they've switched a lot of it to educational resources because he had no idea so many out there they don't have access to books or writing tools or even just going to school so they've really amped up their efforts in that and he said seeing firsthand how it's impacting these kids because some of them education like It's their only way out. It is their only way forward to actually get those tools to learn to be able to get a job or kind of, you know, move forward in life. And he said like that really has taken him back and and he gets emotional talking about it because he's seen the impact and had no idea how much of a need there was for that and how many people out there are not getting those resources when for so many people like myself, like it's, it's kind of honestly, it's just been there. I've been really fortunate in my life. And so it opened his eyes to, The change that can be there and how such a small thing as giving someone a book has changed people's lives.
0: That's great. And obviously he has a large platform uh, to do that with. We'll, we'll spin it to uh, more of the Blue Jays side now. And you mentioned off the top that, you know, part of why he doesn't do a ton of interviews, maybe doesn't want to be backward looking at his Yankees career or wants to keep the focus on someone like a John Schneider. It was a little bit surprising that Don Mattingly joined the Blue Jays in a bench coach role initially because he has had a couple stops as a manager and John Schneider is new to this gig. And, and we know, like Lindsay, we, we know from from Nick Nurse and from Dwayne Casey before that on the basketball side you know one of the best things a head coach especially a less experienced one could do is load their staff up with good assistance but it also means your potential replacement is is right beside you on the bench um how how does it seem like the the Don Mattingly John Schneider working relationship has gone so far it seems like they're they're kind of thick as thieves early on
3: absolutely they seem like best pals it seems like a fantastic dream team like Mattingly had nothing but praise to say about Schneider on how he leads and makes the entire staff feel a togetherness, which as you mentioned, Don knows how hard it is to be a manager. And he really praised how John has made everybody feel like their voices heard, they're part of this, their decision-making. And he praised. Schneider's decision saying that he's so confident in them, like you really are never concerned over what he's doing, at least in Don's mind. And that he really is enjoying the opportunity of being a second set of eyes for him because, like we know, he's been a manager before. And with the rule changes and everything going on late in the game, he says, you know, you're thinking about pitching or pinch hit or pitch run and, you know, how this player has to go there. And he hopes that he can take a little bit of That pressure off of John, he says he doesn't really need it because he's doing such a great job, but he is so impressed with how John has been as a manager in such a new role, and he's just loved being a part of this organization, which I think is great. And I actually don't think Don would throw a bunch of BS. I genuinely feel like he's excited. To see what John Schneider and the coaching staff is doing. Although he did say it was a little rough when he started here because he's like the new kid in school.
0: Yeah, yeah. You don't know anyone yet and you've got to, you know, you don't want to step on toes and things like that. I think what probably helps, at least from, you know, afar, what I can pick up from uh, the broadcasts or, or the media seats or whatever, it really does seem like the hitters gravitate toward Don Mattingly pretty naturally anyway, because he does have such a, a track record as, as a good hitter. Um, what, what did it sound like? What, how did he talk about, you know, his relationship with some of the Jays uh, position players so far?
3: Oh, he said, it's been nothing but fantastic. I actually spoke to Bo shed about his relationship with Don Mattingly. He says kind of how it's helped his game. And Don went to talk about how just he's been helping some of the hitters with the psychology part of the game. And this part didn't air on TV and it's nowhere because he says, you know, players, they'll look at stats or numbers and then they'll have these streaks where they're not doing anything and then it will impact their confidence greatly. And he's like, I have experience from this. It really doesn't impact the veteran players as much, but it still will impact them. And he's enjoy kind of eventually, because I'm not going to say who he said or didn't say off the record about <laughs> maybe in a slump, trying to get them to navigate through the psychological part of it. But he had nothing but praise for Bo and Vlad calling them next tier players and that he... Came here he had options to go to other teams because he sees this as a winning organization with like that great chance of winning and that he said up and down the lineup they're a problem and will be a problem for pitchers so he was really so even more impressed to see vlad and Bo in person on a daily basis what they can do but also gave shout outs to jano to kirk and to george springer
0: yeah, that's great. There's no shortage of, of interesting hitters for, for him to work with. And Bo's a, a good one to talk to because there's no hitter hotter in baseball uh, <laughs> right now. Um, Lindsay, last one on, on the Mattingly thing for you. Uh, give us I, I know you, you said a lot of stuff didn't make the, the final video interview or, or the written piece. Give us kind of Lindsay Dunn's director's cut here. The, what is the, you know, the thing you were most interested in or, or excited about that
3: didn't make the final product? Definitely the psychological part of the yeah. game he talk, spoke about, but the rule changes. I know so many of us are excited because it impacts the players in the game now, but the veteran players, you know, like the, he played forever. I want to know what are his thoughts? Cause so many people that are traditionalists of a game, they don't want it switched. So I asked him like, Don, tell me, do you actually like the rule changes? And he likes them for the most part. He, he's loved the pitch clock and how it's changed the tempo and pace of the game. But he says some things, you know, they're a little tougher, like the throwovers and how they kind of put players in a bind. But for the most part, he's loved any, everything but the throwovers. He's still... He's still iffy on that, but his thoughts on the real change was something that interests me the most that we weren't able to air.
0: Yeah, and it's—I uh, mean—it's one of those things too that it's going to like ebb and flow a little bit, right? Like we're already seeing pitchers manage the the running game a little bit better, and then I'm sure hitters will adjust, and it kind of goes back and forth. That's one that I, I wish you could just like check in with them two months from now and be like, "Hey, so all that stuff <laughs> we talked about, um, where's it at now?" Uh, Lindsay, off the the Mattingly side of things, you also do some. You know, uh, in the street stuff, and I'm curious what the feedback was like from. Let's just say you you asked Yankee fans who showed up to Roger Center what it was like to root for cheaters. Um, how how much fun was playing the bad guy uh, for uh, for a
3: day there? Oh, I was terrified that I wasn't going to make it out alive. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you brought this up. And surprisingly, like honestly, I thought Yankees fans would actually beat me up but they were really playful with it and they just said even though we saw what happened with their pitcher that they're not cheaters and that the blue jays are going to lose and that they're going to continuously like beat them but it was fun playing the bad guy for a game because it just it caught them off so off guard so badly that there's one clip that we weren't able to air because it takes up too much tv time but for 45 seconds The Yankees fan didn't know how to respond to me saying, so how does it feel cheering for (laughs) Peter? And I was like, thank you so much because I think you know that this isn't true.
0: Fact. <laughs> yeah, and like, how do, how do you respond? Like, yes, it's nice to cheer for cheaters, or no, it's not nice to cheer for cheaters. The way you phrase the question <laughs> ha- has them backed into a corner. Um, very last one, Lindsay, and this is maybe some investigative journalism you can you can dig into over the weeks. Uh, I just had Keegan Matheson on before you, and we didn't get to this because it was a, a busy actual baseball day but he is crying conspiracy theory about the hot dog numbers on Looney dog nights do you have any suspicions yourself that these numbers are are getting artificially high
3: oh i am going to say no comment (laughs) (laughs) but i can say you do see a lot of people walking around there i'm always surprised like i don't know how they can be that high because the number's like basically fifty thousand dogs or something or thirty thousand within the first inning. I'm like, are people really eating that many hot dogs? But then you see people walking around with four and then going back and going back. But I honestly uh I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Back to no comment.
0: Yeah, it's something we can all dig in on quietly, and, and I don't know how I do it, but I, I you know, I'm a numbers guy. I got to be able to figure out some way to some way to capture it here. Uh, Lindsey Dunn, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out. Congrats on, on the RTDNA uh, award nominations. To keep up all the great work.
3: Thank you. I'll just quickly say one last thing. Again, thank you for having me on. But tonight on City News, I'm airing probably the wildest interview I've ever had with Blue Jays. I interviewed Boba Bichette about the bundle giving out uh, giveaway today, and then Whit Merrifield does an interview with me, puts on Bo's jersey, and does the interview as Boba Bichette. Honestly, <laughs> I still don't know what happened or what I'm watching, but it is something that is never going to happen again.
0: That's awesome. Uh, so keep an eye out for that on, on City News later today, and I'm sure at Lindsay Dunn TV on Twitter, I'm sure you'll be you'll be sharing it there as well. Lindsay, thanks so much. Anytime. Lindsay Dunn of City News, uh, their sports and music journalist. Again, award-nominated, uh, a ton of great work, and just a, a phenomenal ability to get people like a Don Mattingly or a Whitmerfield, apparently, uh, to open up and have some fun. Uh, in the second half of this show... We're going to have Dan Schulman on next, which is always a treat. Uh, at 11.30, we're going to talk to Dennis Cook, who, uh, former World Series champion as a reliever with the Marlins. He was also Alec Manoa's pitching coach for a stretch in the Cape Codley. We're going to talk to him about some of Manoa's struggles, and he, as a pitching coach, you know what he's seeing, knowing Manoa a little bit, what the, the necessary adjustments might be. Uh, we'll talk to Dan Schulman and Dennis Cook as we set up for Game 2 of Jays Brewers. As Jays Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590, and Sports at 360.
2: Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back. Jay's talk plus I'm Blake Murphy Uh, Dan Schulman won't get to hear his little meatloaf intro we'll just have to tell him about it Uh, he's gonna join us in just a moment here I mentioned before the break uh, Dennis Cook is gonna join us around 1130 as well he was uh, in addition to having a World Series ring from his time with the Marlins and uh, a couple seasons uh, around baseball as a starter and as a reliever of course a World Series champion Um, he was also Alec Manoa's pitching coach in the Cape Cod League. Uh so he will join us at 11:30. Dan Schulman will join us in a couple minutes here. Jays win 7 to 2 last night. Broke it down with Keegan Matheson uh, a little earlier worth digging in a little bit more on Yusei Kikuchi's start. We we focus mostly on the hitter side as the bats start to come to life here a little bit. Um Yusei Kikuchi on the pitching side not his sharpest of performances, but maybe an encouraging sign that he was able to give the Jays Something in that instance. So um, he only allowed two runs. Of course, that's not bad. Two runs over five, that'll lower your ERA a little bit. He's clocking in at six and two with a 447 ERA right now. Uh, The problem in this one is he walked five batters. Now, he had only once all year walked more than two batters to this point. It's been a big part of his improvement, not giving free passes. And as the pitcher who has allowed the second most home runs in all of baseball, not having additional base runners on base, that lessens the the blow of that. Now, in the past, Yusei Kikuchi's erratic command has been not quite a feature, but not entirely a bug because it's kept hitters uncomfortable. It's led to very high strikeout rates. Um, it's led to good chase rates swinging at pitches outside of the zone because you never really know when he's going to be in it. Now, this year, he's really cleaned that up. The strikeouts have been up and down Um, You get kind of sometimes it's the 2022 version of Yusei Kikuchi. Sometimes it's 2023. And then last night, it was uh, a bit of both where the strikeouts weren't elite. The command was spotty, but he still managed to get the results. And to me, that is a a positive sign even though you, you of course don't love the walks but you like that he was able to work through it you like that he was able to still give you five you like that it didn't snowball in the ways that it had uh in 2022 so often let's see how dan shulman feels about it the voice of the toronto blue jays on Sportsnet. he joins us now dan how are you this morning
4: well, in parallel parking, but other than that I'm doing great. So, oh, I
0: wish we had I wish we had video. We're simulcast on TV right now and that just gave me an idea of like we should have every guest with a camera like that should just be a parallel park challenge as as part of Jay's oh, Talk. Uh, are you I I know you're you're a dad and every dad brags about their parallel parking skills. Is that uh an elite Dan Schulman skill as well? Uh, no, no? Uh,
4: there are very few elite Dan Schulman skills parallel. Like I'm fine. You know, people aren't going to be pointing from across the street and laughing at me, but, uh, uh, no, it takes a little bit. Of, it takes a little bit of work. And and by the way, I did hear the intro. So I heard that out of hell. So thank you for that.
0: Perfect. Uh, that's yeah. that's great. So your parking plus is like just coming in just a little below 100, 100 right? Like not quite league average, but not a disaster.
4: That's, uh, uh, yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. No, I would say league average. I'd, okay. I'd give me like a 102. I'm a, I'm a replacement level parallel parker. All
0: right. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. You're not, you're not yeah. digging anyone's bumper. You're not losing a side view mirror. You're you're great. So, right. Uh, right. As I brought you in there talking about Yusei Kikuchi's game last night, and weirdly for, for a 7-2 to game where it was never really in doubt, there feels like there's a lot to, to talk about for that one. Let's start with Kikuchi because he was all over the place in terms of command. He barely got out of the fifth inning because he put a couple batters on with the free pass and, you know, there's a long Pete Walker visit to determine, hey, is Nate Pearson coming in here or is Kikuchi okay to manage it? When you see a guy like that who has been you know, blow up prone in the past managed through a poor command day like that. Is that more encouraging than the five
4: walks are discouraging for you? It's a great question. And and I'll straddle the fence here. So the first thing I want to say is, you know, as you know, for two and a half years, there have been a lot of starts. I'm going to drift over to Alec Manoa just for a Mm a second here where he has not had his best stuff, but he has battled and, you know, you look up at the end of the day and it's five or six innings, two runs. Now, I'm talking more about the last two years than this year, obviously. But, but, you know, if we're going to give Manoa credit for, you know, that competitive gene and battling, and we should, he has it in him and we've seen it time and time again, we should give you say Kikuchi credit for it as well. It's not fair to give it to one guy and not another. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there have been several starts this year where Kikuchi has made big pitches with men on base and minimized damage. Uh, but I think there are other times where he hasn't looked at his best for one reason or another, and he's still he's not getting clobbered. Um, and, and last night was one of those. So I think that's encouraging. I think he deserves a little bit more credit uh, for you know battling through his uh, less than his best stuff kind of outing. You, I heard you talking about the sliders. Like, and Joe Siddle called it in the moment. Pete Walker went out there with a message, and the message was: your fastball is great tonight. Your slider isn't. Throw your fastball more. <laughs> and and the message was received and a couple of times as Kikuchi came off the mound at the end of an inning, he like kind of softly, you know, tapped himself on the side of the head with his glove as if to say, come on, man, what are you thinking about here? And and after I think it was the fourth inning, which was the inning that Pete went out, he high-fived Alejandro Kirk at the end of the inning like it was the end of the game. <laughs> I've never seen that before where a pitcher meets a catcher out by home plate at the end of the fourth inning and they high-five each other in the middle of the game. And I think Kikuchi was excited that, oh, the, this this works. And, and, you know, they've been on him at various times to change the shape of his pitches, to change the usage rate of his pitches. And clearly last night the message was more fastballs. Now, the, the other side of the coin is the five walks do concern me because you say Kikuchi always has been a hard contact guy. and you, you know that as well as I do. And you give up a couple of solo homers, you can win a game. Uh, you walk five and two or three of those guys score on homers, you got problems. And last night, none of them did. I think, I think it was a single before the home run in the first inning, if I'm not mistaken. So none of the five walks scored, that's great, but it also feels like playing with fire a little bit. So I thought there was some good and I thought there was some, some stuff to be concerned about. And quite honestly, I think that might be the Yusei Kikuchi experience uh, that you're going to have high highs and low lows. And if they can just kind of keep them in the middle and get their five innings, two runs, they'll be happy with that.
0: Yeah, I think so. And it's funny, you know, I think that's a great way to set it up. They're going to be high highs and low lows. And, and, you know, on average, the middle has come out, right? Like he's got a 447 ERA. That's kind of right in the middle, um, you know, and, and Hey, if that's your number five starter, if you're getting a 450 ERA from your number five guy, you're in pretty good shape. Even if you would like to see the upside there more now, right now, Kikuchi is, I mean, nominally he's the number five, By ERA, he is the number four because a guy you just drew some parallels to, Alec Manoa, has also struggled. So let's turn the page to that. Manoa will start tonight. He is among the league leaders in walk rate. We're talking about a walk rate that the only guys in the last 20 years to walk this many batters and even make it the whole season as starters. We're talking about like Victor Zambrano types, Daniel Cabrera types, who were just there to soak up innings for pretty mediocre teams. Um, How much of Manoa, like, like when you're... Prepping for tonight, when you pit, uh, call the first inning and you're looking at what's up with Alec Manoa tonight, what what do things look like? I know we've given a lot of you know, bandwidth to the slider and things like that, but how much of it for you is just, he's got to stop walking one of every five or six batters?
4: That, that's the first thing, I, I think. It's just got to be more competitive pitches. And it doesn't have to necessarily be more strikes, although it probably does, but it's got to be more pitches close enough to the strike zone that makes them swing. I, I think you know, obviously everybody's got information and video and the word is out that he's not uh, throwing the ball the way that he did last year and he's not in the zone as he mu- as, as much as he was last year and he's not getting as much swing and miss in or out of the zone uh, as he did last year. So I think hitters are probably going up there with a much different mindset against 2023 Alec Manoa than they did against 2021 or 2022 uh, Alec Manoa. So for me, especially against a team like Milwaukee, which uh, is not a good offensive team like bottom five in baseball in just about every significant category. Um, Like you just want to hope that he can get the ball in the strike zone or or close enough to the strike zone to generate swings and uh, to to generate swings and see what he can do. This this isn't Tampa Bay. This isn't Atlanta. This isn't Houston or or teams like that. Uh, Hopefully he is able to challenge them and and then you live with the results. But walks never lead to anything good it, it it just eventually leads to you're behind in the count and you groove one down the middle with a couple of men on base and then you're really in trouble so uh you can't be and, and alec knows this you can't be successful walking six and a half or nine or whatever it is that he's walking so far so hopefully he's able to be in the zone mix his pitches and and that there's enough on his stuff that um that he can be successful tonight you know the issue is uh publicly like we don't know what the issue is. The issue is we don't know what the issue is. Right. And, and, um, you know, everybody keeps saying he's healthy and they talk about it being mechanical. You know, sometimes I think if you're, if your velocity is a little down and you're reaching back for that extra tick of velocity, you know, that can obviously impact your command. Sometimes you've got to choose, do I want to locate better or do I want a little one or two extra miles an hour, uh, on my fastball? Uh, I don't know if that's what he's battling right now, but at some point, as confident as a guy is, and he's a very confident guy, uh, it's got to take a toll on you mentally. And then, you, you know, you start wondering, can I do this? Can I do that? So I think tonight's a good opportunity for him. He's had an extra day of rest, and he's facing a team that is not, great offensively. So hopefully put it all together.
0: Yeah, that's uh, it's well said and it's tough from an analyst perspective of like where do you even start right? Like the, the velocity, the location, the slider, the fastball, you know how much of it is mental and early in the season he was able to explain some of what you're talking about where oh my velocity was down because of the way my back hip was hinging and then when I fixed that my shoulders came out of alignment and things like that. But sometimes I do wonder and I wondered this with Jose Brios last year too is like with an extra day off or something like that, or or if the Jays had the depth that AAA to allow them, you know, skip a time through the rotation and just like, hey, reset and let's let's clear the brain. And w- how am I instinctually pitching? What is a you know the base Alec Manoa feel like, and then work from there. Uh, the Jays, of course don't have the the options to do that right. Dan, in, in the in a scenario where the jays did have someone say at triple a or like mitch white was looking better and ready to go or, or bowden francis were on the 40 man or something like that are you a believer in you know sometimes getting a guy who's struggling so much uh, a breather whether it's phantom il or, or just skip a turn or something like that <laughs> L- like i i do wonder is manoa you know, if it's your third or fourth starter, maybe if it's a guy who was supposed to be your ACE, is that a little more difficult to sell?
4: Yeah, I think it is. I mean, he was, he finished third in Cy young last Cy young balloting last year. Right. So this is not a guy who has not had success. I, I think in general, I am a believer that there can be value there, but I do think it's case dependent. I, I two things. I don't think they're there yet with Manoa. Um, I mean, hopefully he doesn't have three or four more in a row. Like he had last time out there, uh, you know, there has to be a tipping point in all situations, right? But and, as you said, they don't have an obvious option um, on the uh, down to Buffalo right now to take his place. One thing I kind of wish they had, like if they had one of those weeks where they were off Monday and Thursday, mm. you know, then maybe you just give him a breather. Like, you, you, you know, you just it, – it's not even a skip. It's just a, 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 you know, a reconfiguration. You push him back a little bit. He gets – basically he gets – a few extra days off can throw an extra bullpen or two, can rest a little, but 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 again I'm hesitant to really try to remedy something when we don't know what it is. Right. right. And 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 that that's the problem. I, I'm not a pitching mechanics expert and, and um you know uh I can't I can't look at him and say, oh well it's his you know it's his hip turn or it's his drive leg. I I, I can't do that. So I'm really hesitant to try to diagnose something too much when we don't know what it is, you know, they've got a lot of people who have put their lives into this, who are, who are trying to figure it out. And it there's nobody, it bothers more than Alec Manoa himself, right? We've talked about how competitive he is and everybody knows that. So, um, you know, there, there's been a step forward and then a step back and a step forward and a step back. And, and, but I think right now the best plan of action for them is just to keep working on it and throw him out there and, and hope that he can turn a corner. I, I'd really love to have something more profound to say, but, because i because i don 't know what the problem is it 's hard to figure out how to fix it well
0: i' i 'm going to talk to Dennis Cook next, who 's worked with Manoa a bit in the past uh, we'll yeah. see we 'll see what he thinks about it um, let let 's do one quick positive on the bullpen before before uh, I switch to the hitter side. Nate Pearson has been unbelievable, and i, I asked this to keegan Matheson earlier too and it's it 's a bit of a a philosophical and i 'd be you know john Schneider's going to show us with his usage what he thinks about it. The value of Pearson being able to give you multiple innings versus Pearson being good enough that he looks like he's ready for high leverage. How do you where does that come out in the wash for you? Would you rather have him earlier in games available for multiple innings or are you ready to see Pearson in some you know, eighth, maybe even ninth
4: inning scenarios? That's a great question because you know, right now the top two guys are Romano and Swanson and then you've got Meza who's kind of in his own category because he's a lefty, but on the right side, it's it's Romano and Swanson, and in my mind, Pearson has elevated himself to number three among the righties. So, um, you know, Jimmy Garcia probably was that guy, but isn't that guy right now? And and uh, it's a terrific question. If 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 they're winning, well, tonight he wouldn't pitch because he went two innings. Mm-hmm. But if he's rested, if if they're up a run, going to the seventh inning, do you want Nate Pearson in there, or do you want to save him for the kind of thing like he did last night, where he can get you six outs? And and all of a sudden, the guy who started the year at Buffalo is really, really, really important in that bullpen. And I think they've been careful, Blake, with him to not rush the leverage. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. like to. Um, I, I think they wanted him to get his feet wet, build up his confidence, and get some some good outings uh, under his belt, which he now has. My favorite thing about him, and there there are a lot of things to like right now. And and you can, um, I'm, I'm standing outside, so you could dial up the numbers. I believe he's pitched 16 innings, if I'm not mistaken. And he's walked five, but two of them were intentional. He's only issued three unintentional walks in 16 innings. And that was a big problem for him in his limited major league experience in the past was he was having trouble throwing strikes. And maybe it was just too much too soon or he wasn't healthy or whatever. But um, I think he's in a much better place right now. And everybody loves the fastball, and I'm part of that group. But uh, boy, oh boy, that 89 slider and that 83 curve looked good when he threw those in there a couple of times last night too. So, uh, I think with Pearson, you gotta, you just kind of pick your spots. Like if, if you're, if you're in a big spot and the top of the orders coming up and it's the seventh inning, uh, and it's a one run game, maybe you say we need him now. I, I think Nate's kind of elevated himself to the, we need him now. Um, part of the equation and they'll, they might use them like they did last night, but they might also use him for an inning in the seventh or eighth, um, in, in, in a tight game. And, if Romano is down and Swanson is down to me, he's next on the list. But, but again, I don't think they want to rush that. I, th- I still think they want to pick their spots a little bit and, and kind of go day by day and see where that he can give the most value and just kind of let it grow organically and see where it takes. Them.
0: Uh, And, yen- Dan, yeah, this is how how much of a pro you are. You had the numbers exactly right: sixteen innings, five walks, but only three of them unintentional. Remarkable, uh, recall. Before I let you go, um, opposite Alec Manoa tonight is Julio Teheran. I know that he's a guy that, in your work covering uh, divisional series in you know for national broadcasts in the U.S., you've called him with the Braves in some big spots before as a a baseball fan and someone who's been around a long time when a guy like this, who's basically not been completely out of the league the last three years, but like really hasn't pitched very much the last three years when you see him pop back up, how, how cool a a story is that? And how excited are you to see what the 2023 version of Julio Tehran has tonight?
4: So I watched a little bit of his last start, which was his first start with Milwaukee. He's not the same. He's not 24-year-old Julio (laughs) Tehran, uh, which you would think would benefit the Blue Jays. He doesn't have enough, uh, or I shouldn't say that. He doesn't have as much velocity um, as he had in the past. I mean, when he came up like as a young Atlanta Brave, he looked like he was, and he was an all-star a couple of times, but he looked like like he might be an ace for years and years and years. Uh, Lost some velocity, had some injuries. So two years ago, barely pitched, shoulder injury, last year pitched uh, part of the season in an independent league and part of the season in Mexico. This year signs with San Diego, makes eight minor league starts, has an opt-out in his contract. If I'm not on the big club by whatever the date was, I can become a free agent, which he did. And it's not the worst thing in the world because you look around and a ton of teams need starting pitching and Milwaukee was one of them. So he kind of picked his own deal uh, and signed with Milwaukee. So and he's been around and he's he's you know he's got four pitches and he knows what he's doing out there and he'll he'll be a challenge but he'll be a challenge in a different kind of way but you know the blue jays sometimes have a little bit of trouble with guys like these who just kind of move the ball around not overpowering but can you know mix it up keep you off balance but hopefully they can uh, get a good read on him and and time him up and and he's an important like the brewers are down three starting pitchers right mm-hmm. now and and you know, teams like the Yankees and the Brewers and the Rays and the Dodgers and others are down two, three, maybe even four starting pitchers. Like the Blue Jays, people need to know this. They they've been they've been extremely fortunate. Oh yeah, they've had their five guys for what is it, fifty five games. Like the only team in baseball that has only used five starting pitchers. Uh, these things are very they're precarious, and the Blue Jays have been extremely fortunate that their starting pitchers have been healthy throughout because, you know, then it would be a real test for this team to see how they could do so. Uh, But back to Tehran, like you'd think the Blue Jays would be able to have some success against him uh, because he doesn't have quite the firepower that he used to, but, uh, remains to be seen. There have been guys with lesser resumes. Uh, you know, baseball is a funny game, right? Yeah. Oakland's beaten Atlanta two nights in a row. Crazy stuff happens.
0: Yeah. Oakland. And you know, it really does feel like a major league situation there where whoever contributes to the wins is probably going to get DFA now because they don't want right. them. Uh, they're, yeah. they're trying to challenge the Cleveland spiders from 1899 for the most losses ever. Uh, Dan Shulman. Thanks so much for taking the time out, oh, man. I really appreciate it. All right, Blake, you got it. Be well. Dan Shulman the Toronto blue Jays. On Sportsnet, you can catch him on the call tonight, as always. Uh, that one's 7 p.m. It's Alec Manoa against Julio Tehran. Tomorrow, in the 1 p.m. game, it's Kevin Gosman against Freddie Peralta. Now, that could be set up as a rubber match. That could be the Jays going for a sweep. It's supposed to be pretty nice out tomorrow, so you can get a nice afternoon, uh, sunny day game in as the Jays look to keep this rolling. They've won 3 of 4. And things have been going mostly well In the rotation, Jose Brios has bounced back pretty significantly this year. You say Kikuchi, there have been ups and downs, but at least from ERA and how many innings he's given you, things have moved in the right direction. Kevin Gosman is Kevin Gosman. Chris Bassett started extremely poorly, has had a tough go the last two starts. Everything in between was majestic. I think you're pretty happy with four of the rotation spots right now. But Alec Manoa got the ball on opening day. He got the ball for the home opener. He got the ball in a card game last year. He was on Cy Young ballots. He was miked up in the all-star game. He has had a very tough go so far this season. 553 RA over 53 and two-thirds innings. Not able to give the Jays the type of length that he has historically given them and even given them when he doesn't have his best stuff. The walk rate. Is that, as I mentioned to Dan a uh, Daniel Cabrera and Victor Zambrano and Kyle Drebeck level? Those are not names you want to be associated with statistically. Swing and miss stuff is down. And you wonder at what point there is a mental hurdle. Not that there is a mental thing leading to the struggles, but Alec Manoa has not had a lot of periods without success in his baseball career. Go back to college, go back to the minor leagues. Back to jumping onto the major league scene like gangbusters. One time he did have a little bit of a blockage, though. You go back to the Cape Cod League when he was about 20 years old. Dennis Cook... Was his pitching coach at that time and helped him work through some of that stuff. We're going to talk to Dennis Cook next. He's a former World Series champion, uh, pitching coach at Northwestern University, manager of the Greenville Flyboys, Fly a, a collegiate summer league in the Appalachians that starts up next week. Uh, he has a, a good feel for Alec Manoa, the person, good feel for Alec Manoa, the pitcher. We'll get into uh, some of what might be going on with Alec Manoa. As we continue to tee up tonight's game. Dennis Cook is next on Jay's stock Plus on Sports at 590 and Sports at 360.
2: The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Bourne. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Alec Manoa will go tonight in game two of this Jay's Brewers series, seven o'clock down at Rogers Center. I'll be there. That'd be fun. He'll take on Julio Tehran. Uh Alec Manoa has been going through it. Five fifty-three ERA, one of the top walk rates in all of baseball. Um, very few of the starts that you know he became synonymous with last year. Of course, the the starts where he was electric and unhittable were a big thing, but the mark of an ace for me is that there were days that he didn't have his best stuff and was still able to battle and give you six, even seven innings. That's That's been hard to come by this year as Alec Manoa searches for some lost velocity, some lost location, some lost bite to the slider. Um, we haven't seen this version of Alec Manoa. The last time we really know Alec Manoa struggled was back in the Cape Cod League when he was 20 years old, his pitching coach at that time was former major league pitcher and world series champion, Dennis cook. He joins us now, Dennis, how are you?
2: I'm doing very good. Thank you. How are you guys?
0: I'm well. Uh, so back in 2018 in the Cape Cod league, you're, you're, pitching coach for the chatham anglers you you have a young alec manoa um what do you remember uh, about that time with manoa and where he was at a a pitcher at that point because you know he struggled a bit of late and i i kind of want to go back to you know it it sounds like from the way he's told it over the years that that was a really big learning experience for him because it was one of the few times he has had some struggles he had to work through What, what do you remember from 2018 with manoa
2: Uh, Well, I remember remember him being an awesome kid and a very fierce competitor. Uh, He was a little bit raw when he came to us there in Chatham. Um, You know, he was a a one-inning pitcher, a closer for uh, West Virginia at the time, and he wanted to be a starter the following year, and he worked himself into, you know, a starter's role with them and did a great job.
0: So that that and you know, I, I remember reading about how you guys helped him with some fifth inning stuff, and you had him work on some mechanics stuff from uh, the back side of the mound instead of the front side of the mound. Um, obviously, that's a different version of, of Manoa than the one we're seeing right now. But um, when you when you hear about or you, you get to see a little bit of, of Manoa struggling right now, um, what, what do you you know at a high level? What what are you seeing or not seeing with Manoa?
2: I, I just think that it's a, he's a, pretty much a second sec, second year player. Um, you know it's, it's the league is hard. The hitters adjust they're you know they're making good money and they're good players and it's just a game of adjustments and he's going to be just fine. he'll adjust, make some uh, uh, mechanical adjustments and and uh, the way he approaches the hitters and he's going to be just fine.
0: Uh, So you, you got to know him a little bit uh, at that time and the level of competitor he is. Now we haven't seen Manoa have the, this kind of sustained stretch of struggling a little bit, but from the mental side, um, where, where do you think Alec might be at right now? Is this something he would be able to, or or even your own experience as a pitcher like that, that ability to maintain confidence in yourself through, through uh, a bit of a slump. What is the mental side of the game? Like right now for someone in Alec's
2: position? I just think he needs to stick with his routine, um, uh, be consistent with his routine, which I know he's he is being, and uh, trust his stuff and I know he's doing that. I noticed that he's he's walking a few more guys than he than he has in the past and you know, I, I saw the league was hitting two seventy four against him and that's probably just the results of pitching behind in the count a little bit too much. Uh, Just, you know, if I was going to say anything, Dallas, I'd just say go back to the basics and get back to attacking the strike zone with your stuff, with all your pitches, and uh, live with the results. And I – have a feeling that if he does that, his results are going to be uh, very good.
0: So how, and, and I agree with you. I think the idea of being able to get back to to yourself and do what you do well uh, is a good one when you are pitching every fifth day or every sixth day, and you've got the bullpen in between, um, do you, do you sometimes need like a, a little bit of a, of a reset somehow, whether it's getting a little breather or, or mental reset or something. Like, how do you, how do you balance the fact that you're preparing for today's start and you had a bullpen in between, but you, so you're tweaking things and managing things, but you also want to get back to being yourself. It, it seems like a, maybe a little tough to juggle on the fly.
2: I, I'm not real sure how much he's tweaking. He's mm-hmm. probably just, you know, touching his pitches and there, there might be some very small minor adjustments, but I mean, I wouldn't uh, uh, assume the pitching coach is trying to make an overhaul by any means. Mm-hmm. So, and I know him; he's he's going to figure it out and find it because, like I said, he is a very competitive kid. And uh, listen, this this league is hard, and the league adjusts. You know, they they they've seen him pitch, and he's been around the league a few times, and he'll he'll figure it out, and he'll adjust, and he'll be you know right back where everybody wants him to be.
0: I remember you saying at another point in the, in the past that one of the things that was interesting about Alec when you had him in the Cape Cod League was was he already had a pretty good idea of what he did want to do, what he what he didn't want to do, um, both on the mound and in terms of, of getting his work. And how much does that help your confidence that he'll figure it out that this has been a guy with a plan and who knows his own pitching style and mechanics so well from a young age?
2: I think it's big for him. I mean, like I said about the routine and staying consistent within the routine, he was probably the best guy we had up there that did that. You know, he had he had his, you know, post-game routine and, you know, in the middle, the bullpen stuff, and he stuck with it and he worked harder than anybody we had up there and stayed con- more consistent than anybody we had up there. So I'm very confident that he's doing that right now and uh, he will remain hungry he's competitive and you know this he just got to get on a streak of uh, you know a couple good starts and he's going to he's going to take off
0: yeah, I, I think that that has to be the hope for sure. And, and Dennis, I, I'm curious as your take, this this can pertain to Mano- Manoa or just generally in, in baseball. Um, you pitched for a long time and we're seeing, you know, some of the results now uh, of some of the tweaks and rules in, in Major League Baseball, the the pitch clock and a couple of the other things, you know, the running games coming back on vogue a little bit because pitchers have to be quick to the plate. Um, what have you liked about, about the rule changes or what do you think, it, you know, of these changes may have affected you uh as a pitcher in your own time
2: uh i don't know i i guess the, the clock the pitch clock might affect me because i like to slow it down whenever you know the kitchen got hot i like to slow mm-hmm. it down a little bit and make it uh you know make them work on my time in my terms but so the, i would say the pitch the pitch clock maybe a little bit but you know i think that's a pretty easy adjustment
0: For sure. And, you know, you've had 10, 12 starts to figure it out now. Um, So, Dennis, you have been coaching at Northwestern. You've coached in the Cape Cod League in in the past. You're... Uh, Collegiate summer league in the Appalachians, uh, the Greenville Flyboys starts this week. Uh, What do you and you're going to manage that team, uh, uh, not just pitching coach. Uh, What are you excited about about that? And this, you know, the the idea of these kind of collegiate summer leagues um, like the Cape Cod League before. How much does that excite you as a coach to get to work with kids that are, you know, on the on the fringes of some pretty important years for themselves developmentally?
2: Yeah, no, I, I love doing it. I love teaching kids, and I love being around them. Um, you know, that age group is a good group to work with. Uh, they're all good kids and want to get better. And, you know, it's uh, Mickey Tettleton will be my hitting coach. So awesome. the kids will have a a very good guy to, you know, teach hitting and catching. And, uh, you know, I'm also involved with another league. It's brand new that Barry Larkin and uh, Mariano Rivera and um uh, Beltran are behind Adrian Beltran are behind uh, the Baseball United yeah. in the Middle East. I don't know if you guys have been following any of that on Twitter, but it's a uh, it's a uh, brand new league that they're starting over there, and uh, they announced two of the two of the franchises. One in Mumbai, India. and The other one is in um, Karachi. Uh, for, yeah, Karachi, Pakistan. And there's uh, two more two more uh, franchises to be announced later. So you know, I just encourage your listeners to, uh, to follow that. And, uh, you know, there's big news coming in the next few weeks with that league.
0: Yeah, it's cool. It's called the baseball United league. The the Karachi monarchs were, were announced this week and, you know, some fun, like you just said, some fun, uh, former major league involvement as well. And I'm curious, Dennis. So, um, you know, you're going to be a part of that the, the first, uh, baseball league in the middle East. You've also coached in a number of European countries, including some real success at the international level with Sweden. Um, that element of growing the game of baseball internationally, it really does seem like that's become a, a passion of yours after your playing career. What does that mean to you? Why, why do you keep finding yourselves involved in these, um, these initiatives to, to grow the game around the world?
2: You know, I, I, I love traveling and I love baseball. So it's a <laughs> perfect marriage. Um, you know, I've had a great time over, over in Europe. I've created a lot of great relationships with people over there and just wonderful, wonderful people. I've been in with the German national team, with the Italians for uh, for a few years, and uh, you know it's it's just a, a great time over there, and and you get to teach baseball to At- people who really want to learn.
0: Yeah, it sounds uh, it sounds super exciting. I- I'm excited to hear more uh, about the Baseball United League uh, as, as it unfolds. So Dennis, thank you for, for letting us know about that. We'll keep an eye on on your Twitter, of course, uh, as well for more updates there. Thanks so much for taking the time out and best of luck with the, uh, the Appalachian league and and the, the Greenville Flyboys starting next week.
2: All right. Sounds good. Hey, if you talk to Alex, tell him I said, good luck and continue. We'll do. I, I will
0: do that. Uh, that's Dennis Cook, uh, former Major League pitcher, World Series champion, and uh, formerly Alec Manoa's pitching coach uh, in the Cape Cod League. Dennis Cook, by the way. Uh, oh, and that was Baseball United is the the league we were talking about, the, the first professional baseball league launching uh, in the Middle East. Uh, the Karachi Monarchs being announced as the first team in Pakistan uh, just the other day. Dennis Cook has a fascinating baseball reference page, by the way, if you want to uh, if you want to go back and remember some fun teams from the uh, from, I mean, all through the 90s and into the the early 2000s where uh, he was on the Anaheim. He received a ring from, from Anaheim as well, though he wasn't on the, the postseason roster there. Um, World Series with the Marlins in 1997, which is uh, for people. Roughly my age or, or a little older is a is a really fun Marlins team uh, to look back on. The Moises Alou, Devon White, Gary Sheffield outfield that they had at that time. Uh is uh it's a it's a blast to go back and look at some of those teams. He was also on some uh some pretty damn good Mets teams as well. Toronto Blue Jays are back in action tonight. Uh you can send us some texts to five ninety, five ninety, by the way, over these last couple minutes here. Um, you know, there there's a lot about Manoa, um, there are a lot of questions, people trying to diagnose what's going on and looking at, you know, the most obvious thing of that, that, that you can see physically, um, the most obvious thing that you can point to mentally. Uh, there are a lot of just uh, texts right now about either Manoa's body type in the pitch clock or Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s spot in the batting order. We've talked about all that stuff uh, already. We don't need to rehash that uh, every time through. Um, But if you do have some questions, you can hit them at 590, 590 in the text line. Uh, Also of note, so the Jeff Merrick shows follows us at at 12 o'clock and Kipper and Bourne's at 2 o'clock. You're going to want to tune into those because um, the Maple Leafs are going to hire Brad tree living as their general manager by all accounts, Elliot Friedman uh, tweeting about 20 minutes ago that this is getting wrapped up as expected. They are expecting an announcement today and then a press conference tomorrow. Uh, Brad tree living will be the new general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So um, you will have the Jeff Merrick show to break that down. You'll have Kipper and born to break that down. And then I'd imagine, you know, wall to wall around that press conference tomorrow. The Toronto Raptors don't have a coach though, but Happy 10th anniversary to Masai Ujiri, who uh, joined the franchise 10 years ago today, and they have put up a ridiculous 613 win percentage uh, since then. Eight seasons of the 10, 48 wins or more, and, of course, an NBA championship. The Toronto Blue Jays are trying to do that as well. Not an NBA championship. That would be very difficult for the Toronto Blue Jays. They're trying to win a World Series championship. They're trying to get back on track, and... Things have not, you know, we're at the one-third mark of the season. Record-wise, big-picture-wise, things have not gone exactly as they would hope. They sit right now nine and a half games back in the American League East. They sit four games back of the wild card with at least three teams that they would have to uh, jump to get in the, or, or Sorry, three teams they'd have to jockey with for position to get in the mix there. It's too early to look at things like playoff odds and things like that, but it is not too early to say that, Right here with a stretch of schedule that is not against the American League East, the Jays need to keep things rolling. They've started that pretty well. They went two or three against the Twins over the weekend. They take care of business against the Brewers yesterday. The Brewers are in a bit of a way right now, struggling themselves atop the NL Central. You've got Julio Tehran on the mound against you today. And I I understand that baseball is an extremely difficult sport and a guy who can come in and throw five different pitches in mixed locations and mixed velocities uh, and things like that is tough on a first look, especially a first time through the order. But the stuff with Julio Tehran is no longer elite. It's borderline major league caliber. You know, he was available to the Brewers because he, I mean, he had the right to opt out of his minor league deal with San Diego, but he also had not performed at all at the triple a level. And one of the things I think that drives Blue Jays fans nuts and probably the fans of any team nuts is When they would, when a good hitting team struggles against a bad pitcher, and you know maybe that's in the cards today, but the Blue Jays have been hitting a tiny bit better of late. Seven runs or more in two of the last three. Uh, Obviously, fourteen hits and four walks yesterday, and maybe most notably because they did babbip the Brewers to death in that one. Uh, Very few strikeouts, which is uh, not always, but sometimes a a good sign of good process at the plate for the Blue Jays. Uh, Julio Tehran is not. Someone that that should shake the Jays from a good couple of days. So hopefully the bats keep rolling here, but all eyes on Alec Manoa as well. It's not a Brewers lineup that has a ton of bangers in it. Um, You'll see Rowdy Telez back in there today because it it is a righty on the mound. He came in as a pinch hitter yesterday, got a nice little ovation. Um, They're going through it right now. They had to put Jesse Winker On the I.L. yesterday, that's a big lefty bat that even with his ups and downs would have been in there in the in the middle of the lineup against Manoa today. Willie Adamas is on the I.L. Um, They're going they've drawn headlines for all their starting pitching absences. But on the hitter side, it's starting to add up as well. Garrett Mitchell and Luis Urias uh, also on the I.L. So what, what have teams done against Alec Manoa? Well, historically, even when things are going really, really well, teams will load up their lefties against Manoa. The Brewers have six of them or three lefties and three switch hitters. I think you'll probably see a bunch of those guys today in I mean Christian Yelich and Rowdy Tillas are locks, and they'll be somewhere near the the high middle of the order. Bryce Tarang's a lefty with a slick glove. You'll you'll see him in there. Maybe we see Canadian Abraham Toro, who got called up yesterday. Um he was a, a part of, you know, that that pretty notable trade. He came alongside with Jesse Winker uh in the offseason. He has not hit at the major league level uh really, but he can bounce all over the diamond. Um, you know, he was having a tough time at Triple A earlier this year, but he's a guy who has a couple partial seasons of major league service time under his belt. And I think the brewers with where they're at right now can can trust them to go in there and, and give them some, you know, spot starts and maybe find his way into some quality plate appearances as a switch hitter. Uh, Catcher Victor Caratini and then uh, utility infielder Andrew Monasterio, who got his first career hit yesterday. Uh, Those are the other switch hitters. So if you're worried about the type of lefties Milwaukee can stack against Alec Manoa, Yelich and Rowdy Telez are are guys you can worry about. Absolutely. Any pitcher would worry about two guys who who hit the the level that those two do. But if you see six lefties slash switch hitters in the lineup tonight, that's not really gonna be uh an excuse for Alec Manoa or a cause for worry because the Bryce Tarangs, Abraham Toros, Victor Caratinis of the World are not the type of matchups that when Alec Manoa is on, uh, would bother Alec Manoa certainly. Feels like a pretty big one given that it's a another home start. His last home start was was a pretty effective one um at home against Baltimore two weekends ago it looked at the time like maybe a step forward, even even though the walks were there because he did get into the sixth inning and he was able to be a little more efficient with his pitches. Um feels like a big one just because the Jays have won three of four and they want to keep this rolling uh, as they have a little break from the AL East part of the schedule here. Uh, and it also feels like a big one for Alec Manoa just because it is, you know, no lineup in baseball is an easy one, but this Milwaukee Brewers team is not exactly an offensive juggernaut that that's hitting really well right now. So it feels like, one for Alec Manoa to get right, in, and if he can't, the worries will continue to grow. Some questions to the text line before we close out here. Um, someone who didn't sign theirs uh, asked why the J would the Jays consider a six-man rotation to get those arms extra days rest. Um, the the reason there is, and Ben Ennis and I kicked this around on fan drive time a couple weeks ago, heading into this stretch where they had 30 games in 31 days. And we know Manoa and Gosman and really everyone around baseball benefits here and there for, from an extra day off. The truth is they have nobody to start. Um, they don't have a sixth starter. And there are other complications, too, like the fact that you're only allowed to have 13 pitchers on your roster. So if you go to a sixth starter, you lose an arm out of your bullpen. And if your sixth starter is only going to be a three to four inning guy, that means there's more of a toll on your bullpen on those days as well. Um, So I could see the desire for that. If Mitch White were pitching well on his rehab assignment and looking ready to rejoin the major league roster, I think you could have that conversation. But right now, like the guy that you would call up to make those starts is Zach Thompson, who has an ERA over seven at triple A. Um, that's what the AAA starting depth looks like for this team. Drew Hutchison is not on the 40-man and has not been very good. Casey Lawrence is on the 40-man and has not been very good. Uh, Bowden Francis just got back from injury, and while on merit, he might be the next guy up. He just got back from injury and is not on the 40-man. There are, like, Zach Thompson would probably be the guy that got called up, and that's not great. He's had a really rough go at at AAA, and you're still holding out hope for that cutter. So I don't think a six-man rotation is in the, the cards Anytime soon, like at the earliest, if Mitch White can get his footing under him and get a couple good AAA rehab starts, um, Chris in Oakville asks Abigio is on a bit of a run. Do you think being in the lineup gains more confidence in a player? Um, I mean, probably like if you're hitting, if you're in there every day and you're able to play every day and stick to your routines and see more pitches, I'm sure it doesn't hurt. But I also think that if you're a player like Kevin Biggio, you have had a lot of chances over the last couple of years to run with playing time. And if you're now not getting it, you can't really use, well, I'm not getting enough playing time uh, as a reason for the ups and downs because you had those opportunities and you didn't take advantage of them enough. You got jumped by Santiago Espinal last year, You got jumped by Whit Merrifield pretty quickly this year. I think it's great that, that he's starting to come around five for his last 16, uh, a walk in there, a couple of homers in there. The Jays could really use him to get the back going so that he can be kind of a, a super sub for them. But I don't think, hey, you got to get this guy in the lineup every day so that he can get his confidence Uh, holds much for me. Unless Kiermaier's hitting the I.L., then you're just out of options Uh, anyway. um, Another uh, person who didn't sign their text, I'm supposed to remind you guys to do that so we can shout you out. Um, Do I think that the Jays could look at adding a starting pitcher given their struggles there and the lack of depth? I, I think so. I think, you know, if Alec Manoa or anyone were to hit the I.L., tomorrow and we know it's going to be a two week absence or a three week absence. And there aren't a lot of breaks in the, in the schedule coming up. Then I I think you'd have to at least explore it because again, the AAA options aren't very good. The reality is though, the names that are available at this time of year are the Julio Tehran types. Um, I don't know. I I think first crack at it would probably be Mitch white just because they are invested in him via that trade. And you know, he, he needs a 40 man spot and a roster spot sometime in the next 30 days anyway. Uh, but yes, I, I think, I, I don't think you're going to go out and trade for a quote unquote rotation caliber starting pitcher at the deadline. Like I, I think their needs are going to be on the position player side of the bench and getting extra arms to the back of that bullpen. That'll be the the real priority, but adding some A starting depth, a guy like this year's version of Mitch white. And again, Mitch white didn't work out the way that it was anticipated last year in part because you say Kikuchi got yanked from the rotation. Um, but the theory there was, this is a guy who can go to AAA, work. Some starts there with some stuff that we, we want to see from a pitch design and execution standpoint. And improve, but he's also there as starting pitching depth if we need or long man depth in the bullpen if we need. That was kind of the idea with Ross Stripling when they got him as well. So I could see them looking at that type of guy over the next two months. But right now, it's you're riding with Alec Manoa. You're hoping the bats can give him a little something against Julio Tehran tonight. And you're hoping that Alec Manoa can round the corner. Dennis Cook, who we just talked to and has coached Alec Manoa in the past Thinks he's going to come out of it too good a pitcher, too strong mentally to not eventually find his way out of it. We talked to Keegan Matheson. A little earlier, Dan Shulman, thank you to all of those guests. Thank you to Lindsay Dunn for coming on. And a reminder to keep an eye out for uh, her interview that will be going up uh, later today on City News and on her social media accounts at Lindsey Dunn TV. Uh, talking with Bo Bichette about the Bo giveaways today. And apparently a really good Whit Merrifield in costume Bo Bichette impression. Uh, taking my mom down to the game today. So that should be uh, a blast. Hope you guys get to enjoy it as well. Alec Manoa, Julio Tehran, 7 o'clock. The Jeff Merrick show is next to, I'd assume, tell you everything you need to know about soon-to-be-new Toronto Maple Leafs general manager, Brad Tree Living. That's next. J-Stock Plus is back 10 a.m. tomorrow.